Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you've chosen to press play on this podcast today. My name is Johnny and I'm part of the teaching team here at the Forge. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope that today's talk encourages you. Let me ask you a question to start off with. Have you ever met a person who is happy, who has no business being happy? I think these people can be the most infuriating people in the world where they just seem so oblivious to the problem uh, in front of them, where they're so ignorant of what's going on and everyone's just thinking, I just wish you weren't in the room right now. You are not the kind of person to have in a crisis. I mean, everything around is not okay. It's not okay just to pretend that everything's fine. It's almost like this false positivity, this false optimism that can actually be more disruptive than the problem itself. Uh, with these people, it's often the case that it just leads to a point where either something bad happens or somebody else has to clear up the mess. Or maybe you've met somebody like this. Have you ever met a person who is miserable, who has no business being miserable? I mean, these people are equally annoying, but almost for the completely opposite reason. That no matter what good comes their way, no matter what happens that just seems that should be exciting, it's like they find a way to be negative and grumpy about it. It's like they're deliberately trying to be pessimistic. They deliberately try and pick out the flaws. It can be infuriating. I once had a conversation with somebody and I said, oh, are you going on holiday this year? And in the most grumpy looking way, they said, yeah, we're going to the Caribbean. And I said, are you excited about it? And they said, to be honest, I quite like home. And I can remember thinking, wow, you just look for the things to be upset about, don't you? Often these two kinds of people are equally frustrating to us because their emotions don't uh, work with what we perceive to be the real situation. But there's a third type of person. Have you ever met someone who seems to be more content than you in spite of having less to be content with than you. And now these people aren't like the first person. They can recognize the situations. They go through the situations of life. There's a whole bunch in which they have to wrestle with and deal with. They don't ignore the situations. And yet through all of it, regardless of whether they're rich or poor, uh, whether they have loads of good stuff or bad stuff going on, uh, whatever is happening, they seem to have this contentment. They seem to have this joy. Uh, some of the heroes of the past, some of the people who have the most incredible stories are people like this. Whether it's someone like Viktor Frankl who survived the concentration camps in Germany in World War II, who wrote a book around how everything was stripped away from him and yet even in the worst possible dire situation with no hope of a future, he was still able to have a joy that he said no one was able to steal from him. Or maybe the story of Martin Pistorius is totally a story I would recommend looking up afterwards. A story of a man of whom everyone assumed was in this coma where he had no brain activity. And yet for 13 years, he found himself trapped in his own body, fully conscious and aware of everything that was going on around him, just unable to do anything. When the nurses would give him food, uh, it could scold him and he would have no way of saying he was in pain. He would be subjected to just hour upon hour upon hour of children's television in front of him just because nurses would assume that everything was fine because he was effectively brain dead. But for 13 years, he had to find ways of finding a contentment in his own 
prison of a body. It's these stories that we can find absolutely amazing and, uh, yeah, and energizing and extraordinary. But actually, we all know people in our own lives where they can have this too, where they can be content regardless of how much stuff they have to be content with. There's something about them, something energizing and something releasing about it too. In reality, we might know other people like this too, where regardless of what they have to be content by, they still seem to find this contentment. Regardless of how their life looks, they seem to find joy. And really, that's what joy is. Joy isn't just being happy regardless, and nor is it just avoiding negativity and being miserable, and nor is joy just getting what you want. Joy is a deep appreciation for what you have. I mean, you know this is true. When you have faced the best joy in your life, when you've been most content, it tends to be the moments where you uh, have an appreciation for what you have rather than just desperately wanting the next thing. In fact, if you call the Forge your home, if you know this community, you will probably know people who embody this so well, as I do. People who have just faced unbelievable trials, giants in their lives, who are yet still able to find a contentment in what they do have who aren't just oblivious to the problems, who aren't naive to them, but are able to still find joy. Let me ask you, do you have that kind of joy? And if not, why not? Because whilst it's true that joy isn't just found in receiving what we want, but actually a deep appreciation into what we have, actually it's true that sometimes what we have lets us down whether it one day breaks or gets stolen or sold, uh, whether it stops working or decays or loses its novelty or usefulness, whether it actually betrays us or hurts us or causes us pain. Actually, what we have can be incredibly inconsistent. If it's true that joy is found as an appreciation of what we have, actually the life expectancy of your joy is only as long as what you find joy in. In the same way as if you do find joy in an appreciation of what you have, the fragility and the inconsistency of your joy is as fragile and as inconsistent as the things that you have. It causes us to ask a question. Where can I find a better kind of joy? Where can I find a better kind of joy? Now, if you've spent any time around church before, you'll probably know exactly what's next. You'll know what the preacher is going to say because they always say, come to God, he'll give you joy, we'll close the book, and that's the end of the talk. But I want you to stick with me for just a moment because it's not a coincidence that we sing joy to the world at Christmas time. It's not a coincidence that we all know people who seem to be more content than us in spite of having less to be content with. And so I want you and I want to invite you just to spend a moment exploring a potential where you can find a better kind of joy and spend some time in the same way as you've spent time looking for joy in a whole bunch of other places that will either let you down, have let you down, or you're worried one day will let you down. 
We're in a series called The Most Wonderful Time of the Year. And whilst this year really hasn't been particularly wonderful, maybe, this really is the most wonderful time of the year because of the events that Christmas remembers. And if you were with us last week, we kind of looked at the story of Jesus's birth and we asked the question, what would it look like if we really decided to look through a realistic eye of what this event really told us, rather than just seeing it as a children's storybook? What if we saw these as real people and a real event written by real people in order to help people with real problems and the realities and the difficulties of life? As part of that, there are two different accounts of Jesus's birth, one written by a man called Matthew, one written by a man called Luke, and both of their stories, both of their accounts you can find in your New Testament. But Matthew and Luke both focus on a different visitor who comes to Jesus at his birth. Uh, Matthew focuses on the three kings or the magi. It doesn't actually say three, but we know them as three kings because of the three different gifts. He focuses on them. And then on almost the other end of the spectrum, Luke focuses on these shepherds. I mean, these people could not be more different from one another, whether it's geographically, socially, uh, whether it's through age or gender or situation, popularity. And yet both come to Jesus. And both are looking for the same thing. Both are looking for joy. And as they both came to the place in which Jesus was being born, they found something so similar to each other. Take a look at this. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, we often get this idea of shepherds being these maybe burly men looking after sheep, because that's what we see on the Christmas cards, isn't it? That's what we are often depicted. In reality, shepherds at this time would have probably been teenage girls. That's who they would have been um, uh, looking after the sheep. In fact, even when you look through the rest of the Bible, often it talks about shepherd girls looking after the sheep. Even perhaps the most well-known shepherd, King David, or maybe he would eventually become. King David. He was known to be the shepherd because he was the youngest of his brothers. Perhaps it was something that they would have even made fun of him for. These shepherds would have probably been young girls. And so it makes sense the next line that we read, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. I mean, you can imagine this huge angel, warrior-like, appearing just in front of them. And you can imagine the fears that they would have had. Who is this angelic being? Why is it here? Who are they and what are they going to do to us? You can imagine the kind of fears that would have been running through their heads. Maybe even some of the past experiences they would have had from people who were wandering through the fields on the periphery of the city. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Not an inconsistent joy, not a joy that's going to disappear, an everlasting, consistent joy for all people, for everybody, not just someone that everybody can recognize. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. 
So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby. I don't think it's just a coincidence that when Mary was giving birth that God decided to send some young girls who probably knew what they were doing, as well as some blokes from the east who perhaps didn't know as much, who decided to bring some gold, frankincense and myrrh. But anyway, they went and found the baby who was lying in the major. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for the things that they had seen, which were just, just as what had been said to them, just as they had been told. The joy that was told to them appeared to be true. They were still shepherds still on a low income, still perhaps on the periphery of the city, still perhaps had a reputation, still were just as they were. Their situation hadn't changed. And yet they had found joy in something that they had that was never going to change. And it was true for perhaps the opposite kind of person too. The wise men traveling from afar. Take a look. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born, the king of the Jews? We saw his star and it rose and we have come to worship him. It then goes on. They went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, They saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Why? Well, because when they had found something that was giving them true joy, something that was never going to change, something that was going to be consistent, all of a sudden their treasures, the treasures that perhaps they had previously found joy in, were worth giving away, were worth releasing, were worth sacrificing and offering to the thing that really was going to give them a consistent joy. Whoever you are this Christmas, whatever situation you find you're in, whatever uncertainty you are in, wherever you've been chasing joy in the past, this is an invitation for you to take a step towards Jesus where you can find that consistent joy in someone who wants to bring you close, know you for who you are, who can take you out of the mess and the darkness and the troubles and the brokenness of the world that maybe you've contributed to in more than mistakes in something that you can only be described as sin. And he wants to offer you something more, a way of life that truly offers more. In that place, we find joy in all of the chaos of the world. And so maybe you're watching today and and maybe you've either drifted from this story before and it was something that once meant something to you but now just means less. Or maybe you're someone who's never considered following Jesus before. I want to invite you now to take a step of faith. It's not necessarily a commitment that uh, is going to change everything overnight but I want to invite you to take one step of faith and pray a prayer with me that's ultimately asking God to show up in your life and show that he is who he says he is, a father God. 
We're going to ask God to show up in the chaos that you face. And I want to invite you to pray with me. If you do pray with me, I also want to invite you just to let us know in the chat of whatever stream you're watching from. I want to invite you to maybe email us afterwards and we would love to get in contact with you for no other reason just to pray with you and offer any support we can. We promise that we won't be in any other contact than that and we'll respect your privacy fully. But I want to invite you now to pray a prayer with me as you make a step forward towards Jesus, where we can find something consistent, where we can find something everlasting, where we can find something that we can have in Jesus. And there we'll find joy, as we'll be able to truly appreciate what we have in any season of life. Let me pray for us now. Father God, in whatever situation we're in, regardless of the trouble I find myself in, regardless of wherever else I've looked to find joy, and regardless of whatever else I've looked to find security, and however long that's lasted or is going to last, Lord, we appreciate good gifts. We thank you for them. But I want to ask right now that you would help us recognize who you are, that we would recognize that you are our Father who wants good things for us. You are our Father who knows us, who loves us, who can offer us hope in our chaos and can allow us to hold true joy, appreciating what we have in something eternal, in Jesus. Amen. That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so why not check out Forge Church UK on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram? Or go online at forgechurch.com where you can watch other content, find the next step, give financially, or see any details of what's currently going on in and around the Forge.